Welcome to Wellness and Women in Tech, the podcast that brings you inspiring stories from women who are breaking barriers and making a difference in the tech industry. I'm Lee Olison, your host and a coach for women in tech. In today's episode, I'm excited to speak with Dr. Maika Zwart, a brilliant mathematician and computer scientist doing a mix of type theory and category theory postdoc research on the mathematics behind computer science. We'll delve into her experiences with pursuing a PhD, writing a thesis remotely, moving to a new country for work, and juggling the demands of work, pregnancy, and personal life. We'll also talk about the value of asking for help, the impact of birth control side effects and hormone imbalance, and the importance of emotional communication in relationships. Whether you're a woman in tech looking for inspiration and guidance, or someone committed to creating a more inclusive and diverse tech industry, stay tuned for an insightful and inspiring conversation. So, Micah, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I'm so fascinated by your story, and I'm just really happy that you were able to come on the show today. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm so excited to dive in. I've never gotten the full, like, detailed picture of your journey and how you came to be where you are now. So just take me back to the beginning and, you know, all the way up to to where you are now. Oh, yeah. Beginning is uh, way, way back. Um, I've always been interested in the sciencey subjects, but I have uh, two parents that are in science. Uh, so they've always stimulated me to discover the world and to ask questions, um, go to science fairs, go to technology fairs, read a lot of books. Um, and in school, I definitely favored the science subjects over the non-science subjects. Uh, so it was just a very natural path. And then uh, when it came to be the time to choose the studies, um, there were two subjects that really stood out. It was mathematics and physics. And I never really considered mathematics to be a career thing. Like it was just fun. I enjoyed doing it. It was lots of fun, but like not, not something you would seriously choose as a career. And physics, physics was amazingly cool. By the time I was a teenager, I was reading a lot of um, like books about quantum mechanics, popular science books. It was just so fascinating. Um, and then I learned that in the Netherlands, you can do a double bachelor studies. So you don't have to choose between two subjects. You can just do them both. Uh, so I chose physics and mathematics. Um, physics, because I thought that that is my career path. And math, just because it was so much fun, I didn't want to let it go. Mm. And then eventually, during my bachelor's degree, the more mathematics I did, the, the more fun it got. And, and that did win over, over the coolness of physics. Physics was still really cool, but I just got so more, much more energy about mathematics that I, uh, I did a mathematics master, which was actually a logic master. That was, for me, the most fun part about mathematics. Is, well, logic is sort of mathematics about mathematics. I just loved it. And it turned out you could do a master's program in it. So I went for it. And I haven't looked back since. Right now I'm in computer science, but technically I'm still doing the same type of mathematics that I fell in love with. So sometimes I describe myself as a mathematician rather than a computer scientist, because what I'm really doing is, is mathematics on a daily basis. After your master's, which was that in the Netherlands as well? Yeah, that was in, uh, in Amsterdam. 
Did you take some time or did you continue with your PhD straight from there? I, uh, I continued straight with my PhD. Again, just really following the fun, actually. In the last year of my master's, I encountered this strange mathematical language that some professor in Oxford was developing where you could reason about mathematics using pictures. And I thought that was just so cool and fun. Uh, so I applied for a PhD uh, with him and, well, there was harsh competition, but eventually I, uh, I got in and it has been a really good PhD. Tell me about the competition. Well, there's a lot of people applying for Oxford and uh, there's not a lot of money. So in, in England, it um, works a bit differently from the Netherlands and Denmark. Uh, in the Netherlands and Denmark, a PhD is a job. You get paid by the university to do your PhD. In England, you're still students, so you have to pay the university to do your PhD. And of course, the fees are really high, so you don't really have that money. So you need to get funding from somewhere. And funding is limited. Uh, so after my interview for my PhD with, uh, with that professor, he told me that uh, he would love to give me a chance, like I, I would get a spot as a student. But the funding I applied for in that same interview went to someone else. Mm. So that was a bit of a, a downer that I, because uh, I thought, well, great, I have a spot, but I can't pay for it. How am I going to fix that? And then uh, two months later, when I was still deciding what to do, uh, a new funding opportunity came up, which was a teaching position. And then if you would take on a teaching position at, at Oxford, so commit to a lot of uh, helping out with classes, to being a teaching assistant, then in return for that, they would pay your university fees. So I applied for that because I really enjoy teaching as well. And that one I got. So then I had my funding fixed and I had my place in university so I could go. Awesome. And I know that you lived in Switzerland for a while. Was that after studying? That, that was actually uh, during my PhD, during the very end. During my PhD, I, uh, I met my now partner and he got a job in Switzerland, uh, a postdoc job, uh, while I was still finishing my PhD in, in Oxford. And um, because we didn't really want to do a long distance relationship, we sort of spent half our time together in Oxford and half our time in Switzerland working remotely. And well, he could also work remotely. So we really tried to split it half half. But then the pandemic hit. And that was while we were in Switzerland and the borders closed. So I couldn't go back. How did you find the difference between working at the university versus working remotely? Well, at the time, it didn't matter that much because it was really the end of my PhD. So I was mostly writing up my thesis which was actually really lovely to do with a view of a mountain rather than uh, mm. in Oxford where it rained a lot. <laughs> uh, it was quite lovely. And I still was in regular contact with all my supervisors to help me along and to send drafts back and forth. Uh, so that was actually quite easy. But then afterwards, I, it, uh, I had a break before my first postdoc but it was quite clear that I would go to Copenhagen for my postdoc. And I sort of wanted to start up uh, a bit for the work in my postdoc. Uh, so I would come arrive in Copenhagen after the pandemic prepared and starting that new subject remotely, that was quite tough. 
then scheduling a meeting with a professor that I hadn't really met in real life yet. So we, we didn't know each other that well. That that was quite tough. And actually arriving in Copenhagen and starting my postdoc for real, everything went so much faster. Uh, just being able to speak to the people in my group there in real life, that, that was a lot better than doing it remotely. Are you still doing the same work now as when you first arrived in Copenhagen? Yes. So it's um, it's about the mathematics behind programming languages and especially functional programming languages. And there's this wonderful correlation between some things that happen in functional programming languages and things that happen in logic. But recursion, a concept that programmers absolutely love, kind of breaks that beautiful correspondence between the programming language bits and the logic. So we're looking for ways to still do recursion, but make it so that the beautiful logic doesn't break. And well, that is uh, something that my, um, it's not really supervisor, but sort of, uh, he's assistant professor. So I guess I can call him professor. Uh, he's working on that. And he has invented that type of, uh, well, the specific type of reasoning that we're following. And now I'm trying to combine his ideas with things from my PhD and see if we can combine the different bits of mathematics uh, with each other and see if beautiful things come out that are also useful for programmers. That's so incredible. And I'm really intrigued by this energy that you say has, you know, since you were a child, come from your love for mathematics. And I wanted to hear more about that. Like, it sounds like that's kind of been the fuel throughout your studies and your career that's carried you forward. Just tell me more about the fun and the energy that comes out of your work. It's kind of beautiful when things make sense. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and, And mathematics is really the art of discovering patterns in in everyday life and see how things fit together in a way that makes sense and proofs in in particular they they follow certain rules that we agreed on are nice and then when you can make all the pieces fit together it's just such a great feeling Mm. and yeah i've always found it fun to discover truths that like Egyptians long ago discovered with geometry things and numbers and so they they go past the the ages and they keep being true and there's a lot of creativity in it as well because well a lot of things in mathematics are made up things but if you think of a new definition if you think of a new mathematical concept then it needs to make sense in the mathematical framework that's already there so you need a lot of creativity to make a new thing that still fits in the old and that can expand it in a way that helps whatever problem you're working on i'm so intrigued by reasoning about mathematics using pictures you said yes tell me more about that that sounds incredible it's really fun. It's, um, they're actually sort of uh, strings. Oh, this is really hard to explain in words, actually. <laughs> um, 
rather than sort of numbers and functions that you apply to functions, you depict them as uh, the end of strings and then the functions are strings or boxes that strings go through. And then by manipulating uh, those and having rules for when some boxes eat each other, uh, for instance, if you have a function and it's inverse, uh, say uh, times and uh, divide by, they're inverses of each other. Then if you have one box representing times and one box representing divide by, then they sort of eat each other when they meet, uh, sort of representing that they cancel each other out. And so if you have a very complicated formula with all these boxes and strings and then you can start simplifying it by moving the boxes and strings around and having boxes eat each other. And it's really fun to play with and, and quite intuitive as well. And sometimes that can really help in the line of work that I'm in. And sometimes it really doesn't. And it's really fun to find out when it helps and when it doesn't. I just think that's so cool. And coming from a video game background, I'm picturing like this Pac-Man scenario in my head. Um, but also, you know, what, I, what I've enjoyed about gaming is that there is this programming element, but then there's also like this visual component layered on top of the, the kind of game rules. Um, and I'm kind of hearing that here as well, like this reflection of this yeah. visualization component to the logic. Yeah, definitely. You know, you mentioned that you were a TA and that you enjoy teaching. I'm curious how, how that has come up. I know you've volunteered teaching at schools and how does it feel to be teaching what you do when you need years of fundamental, like, theory education before you can even begin to understand the full scope of your work. Yeah, so that, that is one of the most difficult things I, uh, I encounter. In my teaching, I've really done the, the basics uh, of what I'm working on, but not really getting to what I'm actually doing. Mm -hmm. I'm still hoping to, at some point, do some outreach project where I can actually teach people stuff that I'm doing every day but yeah as you said there's some uh, years of experience and learning that goes into it so that's that's quite difficult to make accessible in say an hour for the general public but um, I'm really hoping that I find a good way to do that at some point for now I've just I, I restrict myself more to still really cool concepts but that are a tiny bit easier to convey uh, than what I'm actually working on in daily life. And what is it about teaching that you find satisfying? Oh, that's a good question. It's always fun to get to talk about your passion. Yeah. And it's fun to see the change in people when they first think that maybe mathematics is a subject they find difficult or they don't enjoy. And then you show them a side of it where actually, half an hour in they're enjoying themselves doing mathematics and they never expected they could and and seeing that and seeing them appreciate what it is about mathematics that I like that that's really satisfying to see with all that said I'm very curious of who you brought forward today for your woman in tech hero 
it's uh, it might not be too surprising that uh, it's uh, it's two people who work in outreach actually. They are um, Jonika Smeets and uh, Janine Dames. They are two Dutch women that are known as the Wiskunde Meisjes, which translate as um, math girls. But Meisje in Dutch is really sort of a girl of 10-year-old. So they present themselves as uh, the math girls, the young math girls. They were doing their PhDs at the time. Uh, this is sort of from 2000 to 2010-ish that they've uh, been doing this. And they've been writing regular blogs in newspapers and online about mathematics and about cute outreach problems, uh, about probability, like the Monty Hall problem you might have heard of, but also a, a lot of different things, graph theory, number theory, just the whole spectrum of, of mathematics. They picked out topics and then had a column in, in newspapers where they would write about it and explain a cute fact, a cute thing, or a fascinating thing. They've done a column out about baking your own fractals. That's <laughs> <laughs> how you can make fractal cookies, which I've actually done. I followed their recipe. Tell me about that. A fractal is um, a thing where you sort of have a pattern that repeats itself uh, infinitely. Uh, of course, when you actually bake a fractal, it won't be infinitely deep. An infinite but, cookie um, would be incredible. <laughs> um, but you can uh, start out with two uh, colors of cookie dough, say uh, vanilla and chocolate. And then you can make a long, uh, a triangle-shaped bar, sort of like a Toblerone shape of the chocolate, and then put three uh, vanilla Toblerone bars of your dough around it and then stretch it and then uh, cut it up into four and then put those four Toblerone bricks together again in a big Toblerone brick and then stretch it and then cut it up and stretch it. Mm. And that way, the, the pattern of the triangles that you made at the beginning will repeat itself and become smaller and smaller. And uh, of course, every time you uh, cut it up and add, then you need to add a new chocolate Toblerone in the middle. Uh, otherwise, you just get a pattern of just triangles all the, all the same size. But if you uh, add a chocolate Toblerone in the middle every time that you do this, then you get this really beautiful uh, pattern. I love that. So it sounds like what you appreciate is the accessibility that they bring to these topics. Yes. Yes, very much. Uh, and they were like a huge hit in the Netherlands. They've become hugely popular. Um, by now, they've uh, mostly moved on in their careers. Janina has become a high school teacher, where she's inspiring a lot of students to go study in mathematics. And Jonika has become a professor in science communication at the University of Leiden. You know, one of my favorite things to do is think about what would the world be like if there were more women in tech? I want to ask you in general, if there were more people studying mathematics, what kind of implications would you imagine would, would happen in the world? So currently at my workplace, I don't really feel a difference between men and women. I mean, there, there are more women, uh, there are more men around me than women. For my group specifically, 
I think we have three or four women in the hallway and 10, 15 men, but it doesn't feel like a difference. Uh, the way we approach things or the way we're treated doesn't really feel different. So I think adding more women to this mix would just kind of keep it the same. Yeah. And full disclosure, when we set up this podcast interview, you told me like, Hey, listen, in, you know, in my work, it's not been difficult to be a woman. And is this going to be relevant to the podcast? And I said, absolutely. Like, I want to hear those stories. Like that is very uplifting. So I appreciate you saying that. I'm curious just in general, like with the benefits of what you've learned and how that is being reflected in technology, what can more people in mathematics do for the world? Because I think it can be seen as a hugely intimidating subject to tackle. And, and that's why I love that your heroes have been people who bring accessibility there, who bring fun and lightness, and that you see this energy and fun behind it. So getting more people excited about mathematics, do you ever have this vision in your head of what the world would look like if there were more people just excited about these subjects? Well, not in a uh, sort of futuristic sci-fi world, because I think we're already living in that. Yeah. We need a huge number of people in mathematics and technology nowadays, because our world runs online. It's crazy how much our lives depend on technology at the moment. And just to keep that running and keep that from collapsing we need a huge understanding about mathematics not just the people who do this as a profession but also the people using mm. all of this technology are uh, what's relevant in elections is trust uh, of technology as well mm. i think it's very important that people have a deep understanding of how today's technology works and that there's a lot of mathematics behind it um, but also that it's not scary once you understand it. Mm. In general, I think if more people would uh, like mathematics, uh, it would make parties a lot more easier for me. <laughs> <laughs> because uh, usually when you enter a party with a, a new group of people and they, uh, they say, uh, so, oh, what do you do? And then uh, you say, oh, I do mathematics then you get one of two answers. Either you get, oh my God, that's so cool. Then, then you know you've entered the right party. <laughs> or you get, oh, I always hated math in school. And that's then the end of the conversation and the end of your good time at the party. Micah, tell me about a time that you went through a, a challenge and how you overcame it. So the thing that came to mind was my uh, last research visit, which was to uh, Tallinn University. Um, I had an absolutely wonderful time there just to uh, start out. But um, when I arrived there, I arrived a weekend before I would start. It was a two-week visit where I would visit a research group there. And I thought, oh, then I have the weekend to explore the city a bit. Sounded really nice. Um, but suddenly an incredible loneliness hit me when I arrived. And um, 
it, it was so bad that I just on Saturday morning, I barely knew how to survive the next hour, let alone the whole weekend. I was really surprised at this feeling. Turns out it, it, uh, I had just uh, stopped with the anti-conception pill and it was the time of my first uh, real period and the hormones just <laughs> kicked me hard. Mm. Uh, I did not know what was happening to me. And that was very strange to suddenly have this deep feel of loneliness um, that I did not expect to feel. And what I did was uh, I called my parents. Mm-hmm. Um, then we had breakfast together. That was really nice. And then I, uh, I called my host in, um, uh, in Estonia. And I told him, hey, I know we, uh, we were supposed to meet Monday, but actually I'm going through a bit of a difficult time. Are you free this weekend? Can we meet up to do something fun? Uh, and it turned out that... Um, he uh, had a wife and a two-year-old, uh, two-year-old son, which I, I didn't know. Um, but he just invited me over to just be part of their family day for the rest of the day. And it was so much fun. I just went with the two-year-old to a playground and just played on the playground all day. Mm. Um, and the rest of the week kept really bit, uh, being difficult whenever I was alone. Um, but the, um, also the wife of my host, uh, she told me, yes, this is the hormones. Just ride the wave. Just don't fight it. It'll be okay. And I just kept calling uh, friends from all over the world and my parents in particular. Um, to whenever I had a difficult time, they would be there for me. Um, it was great that I actually had dinner with my parents uh, but online sort of whenever they would have dinner at home I would have dinner ready in uh, in my uh, hotel and then we would eat together and it was um, yeah it was really cozy a good experience Um, and I was able to fight those negative feelings that way Um, and of course for me it was the hormones hitting unexpectedly but I also know that uh, one of my male friends sometimes is is hit by incredible feelings of loneliness which are not hormonal but then he solves it sort of in the same way just call friends and wait for the feeling to pass but also just accept that that it's there um you're not really gonna make it go better by hating it or or fighting it just accept it and call in the help of friends and family For some people, I think it can be really challenging to make that step to reach out. And what is your advice to kind of get over that hump of like continuing the isolation? There's actually been uh, psychological research that friends will like you better when you ask favors of them. Mm. And this has uh, really helped me to know that I'm, I'm not a burden if I'm asking for help. Yes. It actually makes friends like me better if I do that. Mm. Um, of course, you shouldn't only ever ask help continuously from your friends. But if you're really down and in need, opening up and telling people that actually makes them appreciate you more. Um, it was terrifying um, calling up my host and saying, hey, 
um, I'm alone in, this, in a new city and that's not going too well for me. Do you have time? Like he's a, a fellow researcher. It's a professional relationship. It was quite scary to do that. But he opened up and he let me into his family life. And it was just such a lovely day that we spent together. So only good things came from it. And he didn't judge me at all. That's so beautiful. I mean, in the end, we're human beings before professional, you know, whatever we, whatever our title is. So I I just love that story. And I, I particularly love that we are talking about this because I have reached out to you when I needed support. You know, I'm still two years into living in, in Copenhagen. I was feeling isolated and you were the person I reached out to just by making that connection and your warm reception of it. That went so far for me and just feeling connected and like I had community I'm I'm so happy you reached out and I'm I'm so happy it helps yeah reaching out is always the the right thing to do and it can be to old friends to family but also to new friends Um, the world is there for you I think it's very interesting that this was also correlated with hormonal changes and that you knew at the, at the time that that's what it was linked to. I think a lot of people go through certain like changes in medication or whatever the case is, and they're not aware that there's such a correlation. Uh, But it sounds like you, you knew in the moment that that was going on. Yeah, I uh, I highly suspected, and it was um, very much confirmed two weeks later when uh, I was sort of in the opposite time of my uh, of my period, and I was just so sort of, I was on a high. Uh, I was still in Tallinn. I was loving every day there, and I was like, oh yeah, no, that that was hormonal. Interesting. Yeah, I. I I want to ask, if I may, you are currently pregnant. Yes. And, you know, hormones are a part of that journey. And I'm wondering how you're riding that wave uh, through life, through work. Oh, it's, um, yeah, I just accept it the way it is. Um, Especially in the beginning when your hormones go, go totally crazy. I would be smiling one moment and just be absolutely crying the next. Um, Doesn't matter if it was at work or at home, I would just randomly burst into tears. And then I would say, sorry, pregnancy hormones. I'll be better in two minutes. And then, you know, a few minutes later, I would be better. And everyone is just, okay, cool. (laughs) I love that. So it's not only deep self-acceptance, but also you are you are telling people what's going on and they're being accepting as well. Yeah. And um, it's also, especially for my boyfriend who of course couldn't feel what I felt. Um, He knows to trust what I say. So when I say there is nothing, I know I'm crying, but it's just the hormones and like, you don't need to comfort me in any way. I'll, I'll just be fine. Just leave me be. 
then he knows that he can just leave me be and he doesn't need to ask later like what was wrong because I will tell him if something is wrong. And yeah, that makes it easy for everyone around me, uh, in particular, um, my partner, but also people at work. If I start crying, then of course, that's not something you see often at work. So if I just tell them, hey, pregnancy hormones, uh, nothing you need to worry about, then they think, oh, okay, cool. And then they move on without sort of worrying that they maybe they've done something wrong or something. It's just clear communication um, is very good for everyone around you and yourself. I don't want to project, but I, I mean, I'm just really inspired by your acceptance of the way things are. And, you know, you, you are aware that there is a hormonal wave to ride in pregnancy. And it just takes me back to this logical thought process of I'm having a lot of emotions. It can be correlated to certain things. I can express that to myself. I can express it to others. There doesn't have to be any shame or, um, you know, just hiding it's just this openness and i think like there's just this radical acceptance there because you're able to see so clearly what's going on and i think that that helps a lot in how people view you of course don't like i'm not oversharing i'm not uh, every time i have a menstrual cramp or something i'm not mentioning that to my colleagues um but sort of when it is uh, something that um, they can clearly see or that influences their interaction, then I just tell them what's going on. And um, if I need to go home uh, because of headaches or hormonal cramps or, or something, of course, not now when I'm pregnant, but um, before I got pregnant, <laughs> then I would just tell them and but like not in an oversharing way but just stating this fact like hey this is part of being a woman and then they would go okay cool speaking personally i was struggling for a long time unbeknownst to me because of my hormones but after enough patterns of a certain time of the month feeling incredibly down, I started realizing this is tied to my menstruation. And I reached out to a doctor and pharmacists and started using a type of plant medicine called Vitex, and it completely changed the game. And so I, I'm happy we're talking about this because I think sometimes people can take on so much self blame for their emotions and think, I just have to control this, but it can be beyond our control, especially if it's something like our body chemistry and it's, it's okay to, you know, talk to a professional to help navigate those changes as well. Oh yeah, definitely. I, of course, it's okay to feel down every now and then without reason. Um, yeah, if there's, if you feel down regularly, then start questioning why. Start 
looking at patterns like is it once a month could it be related to hormones is it after you've eaten something like start tracking things and definitely reach out to professionals to help if you feel like something's going on and you can't quite figure out yourself why reach out to a professional that's always a, a good option I really do think it's such an important conversation and I was hoping it would come up in one of the interviews because like I said, I, I struggled it, with it for years and had no idea that that was what was going on. So if this kind of like, maybe will ring a bell for someone to be like, hmm, maybe I should look into that. Mm. Really cool. Yeah, I think it helps so much that I've just been brought up in a very sciencey way and if I know my body really well so whenever something is strange I'm like hmm something's off why yeah I wonder if I've gone too far off the deep end in all of the metaphysical philosophical where I'm like this must have to do with this shadow work kind of stuff I'm going through and always psychoanalyzing instead of being like physiologically how what could be the answer here <laughs> I mean, it's an interaction of both right yeah. yeah tell me what practices or life choices you make to keep your mind body and spirit strong well I don't do anything like really with that purpose in mind but just looking at my life in general, I cultivate a lot of uh, friendships. I, I keep in contact with my friends from the Netherlands. And I, I do reach out to them when I have problems. And they also reach out to me. Like I spend so many hours on the phone. Of course, also just to, to chit chat, but also to um, like talk about my problems or they know that when they're going through a difficult time, they can call me. Like it's definitely a two-way street. That's very important. Um, but I put a lot of energy into keeping those contacts alive. Um, and I'm now, uh, this has now been a year in Copenhagen. I've also been very active trying to find friends here, um, going to hobbies, forcing myself to be out there, meeting new people, uh, just building a social network for myself of diverse people, actually, because um, that's the the way to get a lot of perspectives on life. And that's also a way to view the world in many different ways so you can find your own path. So my friends are incredibly diverse and I feel like I can talk about almost anything with them. I can discuss on every viewpoint, uh, things in the news. I can get a hundred different opinions. And I think that makes for a really uh, good life in, in general. And then there's also the, the standard things like eating healthy and, and exercising. But I do those because I like them, not specifically with with the goal in mind to be healthy, but more, I enjoy doing these things. Therefore I do them and, oh, they happen to make me healthy. I, I'm no longer using mass social media that much. I used to do a lot when I was in the Netherlands, but now I find uh, if I experience an exciting thing that I want to share with people, I 
send them a text message with a picture personally. Um, so this morning, um, I sent my family a picture of my pregnant valley because I was so proud of it. That that kind of things. So I I message people personally about it, and they message me their experiences. That way, we sort of keep in contact about highlights of daily life. Uh, but I also make sure to schedule evenings where I video call them and we can just have a cup of tea and chat the whole evening. Yeah, I think that's a, a way to keep the friendships alive. I make sure to make time for each other and actively reach out. Being in a new city, how do you build your social network? Oh, that's one of the hardest things. <laughs> um, go to things, go, go out there. Um, I've started uh, hobbies here and then see if the people at those hobbies are your type of people. Like, do you find connection with them? And it has taken several tries. I started out Lindy Hop dancing because it was closely related to a type of dancing that I love to do in the UK. But then I found out that the, the people there, although they're absolutely lovely people, they they didn't give me the same connection as I had with the dancing people in in Oxford. So then I tried different hobbies. <laughs> I just keep trying until I find the right kind of people. I also did this uh, going to Oxford. There I was also coming from the Netherlands, going to a new country, and it's it took about a year until I found. The, the right activity that brought me the right people. And I feel now again, I'm, I'm here for a year and now I've, I've started to find a group of people that I hang out with. And it, it just takes that, that long and you need to give yourself the time to allow it to take that long. That's just how it is. Along the way, were you trying new hobbies? Uh, I, I did in, uh, in Oxford. Um, I got into dancing there as a, a new hobby. I think here you could also say um, I'm doing acroyoga, uh, which sort of follows from, I did a dancing acrobatics thing in, in Oxford, but that didn't exist here. So I tried Lindy Hop to replace the dancing and acroyoga to replace the acrobatics. And the acro yoga, I'm, I'm still doing. It's amazing. And there's lovely people there. Um, I, I am looking around of, uh, for, for different things to try. Uh, but it's always very hard to, <laughs> to see what do I actually like? What type of hobby do I want my, to spend my time on? Um, it's, it's a search. In Oxford uh, particular, it, it was quite easy because I was a student there. So there was this big website where they listed all the um, student sports communities and all the student hobby societies. So I just went through that list, <laughs> clicking on, on sports and hobbies that seemed interesting, looking at the website, see if one of those things looked fun to me, and then just going for a trial lesson. Actually, I also did this in my uh, student time in the Netherlands. There was also a sports center that was related to the university where you could just try out sports. So I went to, uh, I did capoeira for three months and I did climbing for three months and <laughs> just tried out lots of things and see what sticks. 
wrapping up, I, I just want to say, I really appreciated this entire conversation. Like I just am very inspired by the way you followed the energy and the fun and you continue to do so, you know, in your hobbies, you're exploring like what's fun, what, what inspires me. I'm really happy to have had your outlook today. So thank you so much for joining. Well, thanks very much for inviting me. And uh, it's been a lot of fun to talk about these things. Hopefully they're useful to someone out there. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Wellness and Women in Tech. I hope you found Dr. Micah Swartz's insights and experiences to be both inspiring and informative, and that you'll share this episode with your friends, colleagues, and women in tech. If you're looking for more resources and support on your own wellness journey, be sure to check out my website at leolasoncoaching.com or follow me on LinkedIn, Instagram, or Twitter. I'm dedicated to empowering women in tech and promoting inclusivity and diversity in the industry. And if you enjoyed this episode, I'd love for you to leave a review and rating on your favorite podcast platform. Your feedback helps me reach more people and amplify my message of wellness and inclusivity in tech. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you next time on Wellness and Women in Tech.